You think you get stupid questions? You should hear the barrage of stupid questions I get. everyone welcome to another episode of stupid questions with jason harvey thank you for listening i love all of you every single one of you so much write that in your journal someone loves you his name is jason and i am jason uh (laughs) thanks thanks for listening guys uh we're gonna get right into it like i always try to do um we've got some special guests on my show and one of them has been on the show this might be your fourth time yeah i think it's number four four Fourth time returning to the show. Uh, one of my very best friends. Love this guy. Uh, Nicholas Don Smith is on the show. Yay! Welcome. I'm, I'm excited. And uh, I also, uh, we're, we're joined by the, the man who helped make me, my, my papa. The man what made me. The man what made me with just a couple <laughs> tablespoons of genetic fluid. <laughs> Paul Smith. Hi, Dad. Hi, uh, as usual. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. Good. How are you? All right. Good. Thank you for coming on the show. Sure. Uh, It'll be fun. It will be fun. So uh, the whole reason... Nicholas helped me set this up, yes. obviously. I talked to Nicholas because I found out that you worked at the uh, prison for 20... Was, 20 years, I, th- I believe, right? Is that how long did you work there? It was 20 years from 1978 to 1998. 1978 to 1998. So you saw a lot of people probably come in to the prison in those 20 years. Just people come in. How many people actually. What's the ratio of people coming in versus people going out alive? Let's say, because <laughs> we are a death penalty. Do we, st- we still do have. We're still a death penalty state, are we not? Mm hmm. Yeah, but fortunately, we don't, you know, we don't do much. We don't do with it? Okay. We're not Uh, Texas. I'll I'll let you know right now, I'm not really for the death penalty. Yeah. I'm Uh, I'm not either. So, but, you know, so fortunately, we don't do much of that anymore and shouldn't, in my opinion. Now, you know, I'm I'm supposed to be this tough, mean prison guard that uh, wants to hang everybody from the nearest sour apple tree, but that's... That's not my mentality. Yeah. And I've often said that uh, they would never allow me on a jury. You yeah. Know, I've, I've been called up the jury duty any number of times. And as soon as they find out I've been a correctional officer, bye-bye. You're, you know, not, they, you're, not, but, you're not what we want here. But, you know, the truth of the matter is... We want is, a lynch mob, not yeah, somebody with... But the truth of the matter is, I would actually probably be more risky for the prosecution than I would be for for the defense, because I want good, solid, probative evidence before I'm going to convict anybody. Yeah. And uh, unless I get it, uh, sorry, you know. But they don't know that, and they're going to assume the opposite. Yes. Uh, So anyway... It was interesting that when I was there, I even had the opportunity to take a class in legal evidence from the then uh, prosecuting attorney for West Valley City. And it was fascinating. We had uh, 10 evenings uh, 
going through all the, the different uh, evidence uh, to prove a case in court and so forth. And uh, it was one of the most interesting classes I've ever attended. Yeah. And it, it gave me a pretty good idea uh, about what is acceptable uh, as evidence the case and, as... and what is not. Of course, I got a lot of that in training. We, in Utah, we get a lot of training every year. Uh, so, Dad, eat your mic. What's that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just, yeah, hold the mic. Eat the mic. I hope that it's been loud enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're good. And that's perfect right there. All right. So, anyway, to begin. But then I've always been kind of trained in evidence. Uh, yeah. Maybe I can give a little story and it'll give an idea of, of you know, my mental set. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I was nine years of age, I was listening to the TV as kids do. And I heard something that was being put across as, oh, can you imagine? And it was, I don't remember what it was, but uh, something was uh, put across as true that sounded improbable. Yeah. And so at the time in the house was my mother and my grandmother, my father's mother, and, and the sister of my mother. They were all staying at, we had a big farmhouse. Uh, it was, we had a farm near San Diego and and so we could have all kinds of guests, and mother and dad loved company, unlike a lot of people. So anyway, they were all there. And so I spouted off what I'd heard, and I, <laughs> ooh, did I get jumped. <laughs> it, it was one of those formative experiences that form a child, because uh, I, I was only nine. And uh, boy, did I get told. So you believe that without any evidence. And boy, did mother lay it down that you don't <laughs> believe anything unless you can prove it backwards and forwards and crisscross and every other imaginable way. And my grandmother and, and aunt, they, they were right there with mother. And, uh, you know, I, I got basically read the riot act on evidence. <laughs> and then mother pulls me off to the side and said, from now on, you will never discuss a subject with adults until you can lay it down with pristine evidence point by point by point by point. And I said, Mother, how could I ever do that? She said, next time you have something you want to discuss, come to me and we'll put it down on paper and we'll work it out. Well, after doing that several times, then I, I got to understand what she meant. And I've understood since how many people really don't get that lesson in life. They don't yeah. understand how to think. They they hear something, somebody says something on the radio that, oh, well, so-and-so said such and such, and so that's what I believe. Well, no. Mm -mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was taught, no, 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 not at all. You You prove it, and you look at both sides, and you evaluate it, and, you know, you get all the background information and everything else. And I think that really helped. That was one of the things that would really help me as an officer later. Uh, another thing, my father was the uh, superintendent of the large aircraft company in San Diego during World War II. He had 7,000 men under him, and he was a genius at managing men and 
solving problems and working things out and and that type of thing. And I I hear stories all the time from Dad on on good ways to manage other men. Yeah. And that would be among the other things that I would learn. And and there's those other, helped you out as a prison guard quite that a would bit. Help I me bet later out. Uh, so a, a, a prison guard and a correctional officer are those the same? Is is a correctional officer pretty much anybody working uh, an officer working inside the prison then? Yeah, that's the more formal title. People basically, you know, we're prison guards to yeah. the you know the, the public as a whole. The, the yeah. formal title is correctional officer. It, it doesn't really matter to me whatever somebody's comfortable with. At yeah, point. and as you can imagine. Growing up in that kind of household, I didn't get away with shit. No, I'm sure. <laughs> On the other hand, though, I think as Nick can tell you, I, I I tried to get my boys to see reality by discussing something through with them. I didn't believe oh, yeah. in beating them into into doing into complying. I'd rather have them be converted into Re- talk. Yeah, you you don't steal because yeah. Well, and that's you also why because you a, know, that, that kind of hitting and telling somebody don't hit them is the it always is just like wait what yeah I've because then I've seen it happen but uh, I I saw somebody posted something the other day and I normally hate memes but they it was it was a meme that they posted and it just said some guy was like I was spanked uh, as a child and I turned out okay. Uh, and I didn't turn out wrong or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just like, no, you turned out to someone who thinks it's acceptable to hit a ch- uh, for an adult to hit a child. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that's a brilliant way to put that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, really. Well, and I, uh, with my son, he has ODD. So if you were to... If you were to be like physically aggressive towards him whatsoever, he would just be like, "Do it, do it. I'll fight back. Like I'm not gonna take it. Like you can go ahead, you can hit me, but you better expect me. Like I'm gonna fight back. I'm I because yeah. and I'm gonna hate you. Like that's the it's. He's smart enough to talk things through, and if you just tell him something, it's okay. Oh, all right. Oh, he asked. Megan was my girlfriend was watching him on Saturday while I was at work and they met me on my break. This is just a funny story and not doesn't have anything to do with uh, with the prison, but I find it funny and I would like it to just share it because I thought about this. My son's 10. He was driving up. Uh, we, we met at Firehouse Subs in Cottonwood Heights for uh, lunch yeah. or up for my lunch break. We ate and. I get a text from Megan like shortly after they leave and she's like, Ugh, I've been with your, I've been alone with your son for six hours and he's already asked me what foreplay is. Do you know what, for- <laughs> do you know what foreplay is? What's foreplay? And I was just like, Oh no, what's going on? And she's like, he read it on a sign and was just like, well, what is, th- what is that? Megan, do you know what foreplay is? And she's like, uh, yeah, it's something adults do together. And then this is what he said. Ugh, like reproduction? Ugh, we can stop talking about it. <laughs> Ugh, like reproduction? That's. What, I hope my son just always refers to sex as reproduction. Yeah. Ugh, reproduction. <laughs> Gross. 
Uh, I ain't never having a kid. <laughs> a kid saying that. And give him so, a few more years. Yeah, get a it, different view of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's something you'll like later on in life, dude. Just don't worry about it now. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you worked there for 20 years. Um, what was the craziest thing that you saw there in 20 years? Like as far as... Uh, or uh, what were you... Yeah, what was the craziest thing that you, you saw there? Most like, whoa, uh, I can't believe I just witnessed that. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be something that the inmates did. Uh, sometimes, uh, well, all right, a mistake the administration made. We had one of the towers, and uh, it overlooked, uh, you know, a section of the fence and then a, a yard area. It was on the west side of the, of the uh, prison compound. And they decided, well, hey, we can save a lot of money by not manning that. And we'll make sure that any time uh, that there would have been an officer go up into the tower, that during those times, the inmates will not be in the, in the yard area. So that way, they'll always assume there's somebody up there when there isn't somebody up there, and we'll save a bundle of money. <laughs> well, anyway, that was presented to us officers, and I, I remember thinking, I wonder what, uh, uh, quote, genius, unquote, thought this up and got paid $1,000. Uh, anyway... <laughs> We go back, there's a group of officers, and you know, several of our supervisors are walking with me and with us. And I remember one of the new officers turned to me, I having been there, oh, probably 15 years by that time. And he asked me, Officer Smith, uh, do you think this will work? And I said, all right. One of the first things you're going to learn is that there are no secrets in a prison. Somebody knows. Somebody will find out. I can guarantee that within a month, every inmate in this prison will know that that tower is not manned. Now, I have to give you a warning. Be very, very careful what you say. And if this is ever discussed among you officers, you must say it in the back offices when the inmates are in their cells and there's no chance that otherwise you'll get blamed for having said something that they overheard. So be extremely careful what you say. But guaranteed, they'll know. They'll know. Well, a couple of years later, there was an escape. And <laughs> three inmates made it over the fence right where the tower was and then they had to Man cut them down, which they did. Yeah. And then it came out in questioning them that they knew, of course, that the tower wasn't manned. Well, then it all came out, and I remember inmates would approach us officers and say, well, didn't you, you surely, didn't you know that we knew and all that? And, and then 
we could talk about it then. <laughs> and I said, well, of course. We knew that was crazy and idiotic. And I said, how did you find out? And they said, well, when we were out in the yard, you know, we would naturally look at the tower. See, they put a dummy in the, in the big chair that was in the tower. And they could kind of make out, but they noticed that the officer never moved around. Never did. And they would have inmates with the sharpest eyesight look, and they'd, they'd take turns, you know, half-hour shifts when they were out of the... And they never saw the guy move out of the chair. Well, we had inmates that worked in the main, the oldest building where the culinary was, where the food was prepared. They'd bring, for every meal, a big uh, cart full of trays and, you know, boxes that, you know, kept the food, uh, I can't think of what they're called now, but anyway, warm and so forth, and they'd bring them on over. Well, they had a number of times to call an inmate older. They needed an extra someone to help. Yeah. And they would happen to go older when there should have been the shift change. And so they would look older and they'd see no officer go up into the tower and no one coming down. And then they said, then we knew they were not manning that tower. And that was about two weeks after they stopped manning it. So I was right. Within a, wow. within a, within a month, they knew. So anyway, it's just... Well, it's a, they're going to know the inner... We know how things... We're in here. We're locked up. We oh, yeah. watch they things. This, is, this is our scenery. <clears throat> this is what oh, we yeah. do. We watch stuff. Well, and... <laughs> hey... The favorite topic of, of, of gossip among inmates is officers and how things are going on. And I would hear things from inmates about policies and procedures that were coming down affecting officers from the administration <laughs> months before the administration told us. I'd hear it from the inmates. Uh, it, it was the most amazing thing. And uh, <laughs> high speed internet, <laughs> yeah. high speed inmate so, <laughs> networking. Know, it's just like uh, some of these people uh, that were in the administration. No, not not all. There were there were wise people in the administration, and I I know that there were those that when the top brass came up with this tower idea that just they just rolled their eyes, you know. This will never work. Well, and, you know, my captain and lieutenant, too, that I had, we, we, we talked about it. They didn't buy it either, you know. Yeah. It, it was just, we knew that it was just going to have to be proven to have been. We've got to test this theory. We think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, that's how we test cars. We crash dummies inside of it, and then we test the technology inside of there. Let's just put a dummy up there. It seems to work in other things. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Apple dumpling gang type. Type of, yeah. Um, it just illustrates the, the, the principle that something may look good in theory, but prove out to be rotten in, in it, fact. Yeah. And, you know. Well, in a prison, you see that a lot. And I think that's also you're thinking less of these 
people. Like they got they got caught there in prison. Some of them probably wrongfully, and and some of them very much should be in prison. But you're also like, well, let's just put a dummy up there. It's kind of thinking these guys are stupid. Oh yeah. And I that's think you can't think that about people that you are like if you're guarding people if you're trying to rehabilitate people like if it if it truly is a rehabilitation center and you're wanting to some people to come in there and and be able to go back and be upstanding citizens thinking they're stupid and treating them like they're morons is not the way to to probably help them on the road to rehabilitation not at all and and you're stupid to think that and and you're not doing your duty uh as a security officer yeah if you're thinking that I mean, the inmates are the same as the public in general. I mean, you have intelligent inmates, you have inmates that, you know, that are not very yeah. bright, you know, and, you know, most are around the, the average uh, level, but some inmates are very, very intelligent, and those mainly were the white, the white crime, uh, you know, uh, embezzlement and, you know, that type of paperwork, thing. Paperwork crime, yeah, right, you yeah. Know, but I knew some inmates that uh, had advanced college degrees and uh, and so forth, and uh, they got greedy. Yeah. And that's why they were there. So uh, to to assume that uh, they're just a bunch of dummies and you don't need to worry uh, is <laughs> wrong. Crazy wrong. Thinking. Yeah. What is the ratio? Would you say of like white collar crime versus? like uh, a violent violent crime of of people being or let's just even say this what what do you think the ratio is of people in prison for nonviolent offenses versus people who have who have hurt like i mean and i well drug offenses are overwhelmingly well two thirds at least i'm not sure now on the Exact figures. I, I mean, I've been away from the place now for almost 19 years, but... Uh, Two-thirds? I'm sure it's at least... That. Probably Maybe about. higher, maybe three-quarters. Uh, yeah, but it's... we In this country, we waste a lot of money and a lot of space and a lot of lives throwing people in for marijuana and, and, and other drug offenses. Uh Prisons, the main purpose of prisons should be to protect the public. Who should you protect yeah. the public from? Those who commit serious crimes against the person. Yeah. You know, murder, assault, rape. Rape, yeah. That kind of thing. Well, to a degree, certainly white-collar crime where people get... You know, yeah, if you ruin... like. I don't think they did enough in the in the collapse in two thousand and eight for going for the people that no, really. I I think they should have been. Lives were shattered. Yep, they it, be, it ruined so many lives, it, especially people that were already like they were about to retire, and then they it's gone. Like I don't have a retirement anymore. Well, the problem is you get a few. You get your Kenneth Lays and your Robert Skillings and your Bernie Madoffs, but for the most part, these people. Do not, because of their wealth, of yeah. the attorneys they can they can afford and all the rest. Justice sadly is for sale, just like anything else. 
and the more money you have, the more likely you are to skate. I mean, as long as you're willing to spend the money to buy justice. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing. You're, you're probably not going to go to prison. Yeah. Did you see, and did you get to see any, like, court case? Did you go to court cases ever and, and, and see anything like that where somebody was just like, well, they, that person's guilty as hell, but they're getting, they got a good lawyer. Like, or were you just... Well, not so much as an officer. Uh, I mean, I would take uh, inmates to okay. court on occasion. But your high-profile pro cases are the cases that, you know, we all hear about in the news. Uh, I didn't see so much of that uh, as an officer. Yeah. Uh, as I say, uh, it's like I was fond of saying as, as an officer, you know, we, we tend to get the, the dumb inmates. And, you know... We've already put into profile a bit what I mean, and I'm, I'm not talking down. Uh, but we don't get the mafiosi. Yeah. We, we don't get the, the mafia hitmen. We don't get uh, crooked lawyers and crooked <laughs> politicians and, and that type of thing. The people that really belong in prison, we seldom get. We get, you know... The guy that got too greedy, or the 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 guy that uh, that uh, got involved with a, a sex offense, or or somebody <clears throat> that disobeyed drug laws. Yeah. Uh, we don't get the real, real smart criminal. Yeah. Uh, not usually. I say no, we don't get. Uh, we don't get politicians and lawyers and, and judges, the crooked ones. We don't get those. Yeah, they stay out. They get it. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, you really see it. Sometimes uh, the public would be have been shocked sometimes to see officers discuss somebody that had committed a certain crime, and we would critique the crime among ourselves and say, well, the idiot, he should have done this or he should have done that or not done this or that. This is how you get away with it. <laughs> if you're going to do that, this is what you got to do. I've often said officers would make better criminals than most of the criminals. They get, yeah. <laughs> They've talked about all of the where it went wrong, <laughs> and this is where it went wrong. Uh, what was the... Uh, what was one of the kindest things that, uh, like, with inmates, within, it doesn't even mean, it doesn't have to be, like, inmate to inmate, or it could I be inmate to guard, story, like, though, what? That, that illustrates that. Like a kind, yeah, just something uh, kind. There was one inmate, and I don't want to, even, I hope I don't even begin to identify this person, but uh, there was a, a fellow, no, no criminal history, and he went blind. I don't remember now why he went blind, but he did suddenly. He was in he was in his late twenties. While he was in prison. No, this oh, is when, he, when he's out. His wife left him. Uh, he he was suddenly just very alone. People would would come in, but and there was a neighbor girl who shouldn't have been allowed to come in alone. She was fourteen and. This guy was good-looking and intelligent and a very, very pleasant personality and so forth. And this girl just came to adore him. And as time came on, it was more than that for her. And 
anyway, one thing went to another, and I will just say he got weak. Anyway, nobody knew what was going on for a while, but this is going to get out eventually, and it did. And he went to uh, prison for child molestation. Well, the inmates knew the circumstances of how this happened. This, this guy just fell in, into it because of his loneliness, really. And so most child molesters are hated and despised yeah. by inmates. This fellow was not due to the circumstances. Well, he was blind, and they really watched out for him. Uh, there was always an inmate that would take him for a walk every day, and they would watch out for him, escort him down to where they had their meals, the, the cafeteria, and there was one inmate that, that uh, you know, robbed him, took what, what, some of what he had, and... Uh, Boy, did we get uh, the word as officers. You will either get this. They knew who it was. They said, you will either get him out of here or we may, Kill. we won't say what we'll do to yeah. him. We had to get him out. We had to get him. We were given an hour by the inmates to get him moved. And, of course, <laughs> we had to. But they really watched out for this blind fellow. Uh and it was it was really quite touching. You'd see one or another taking for a walk every day, and and all of that. Uh, but I, I, it, it was interesting. You, those officers who treated inmates like they're human beings, with courtesy and and fairness and reasonability, and the inmates would respond back in the same way. They were they were very happy to respond. Be to treated yeah. well, yeah. Wow. Well, most people do. <laughs> it's kind of a natural reaction. I think it's a rare person that you find that uh, greets kindness with anger or hatred. It's it, very rarely have I bumped into a person anywhere, and and uh, even when I was in Philadelphia in like a in some projects. Because I talk to people how I talk to everybody. I just, I think you deserve the same amount of respect as a person that anybody does until you've proven me otherwise. Until I, uh, until you've proven me, I can't, proven to me, I can't respect you. Then I'm going to, to treat you with kindness. I, like, I think that's just a good general rule, but I, I think it's that it's great that it works that way even in prison, like from guard to, to inmate that there is that. If you, if you have that re mutual, uh, if you give them that respect, then they give you, give you that same respect. Well, you know, with most of the inmates, I was on first name basis. Yeah. I had no problem that they called me by my first name. I'd call them by their first names. We, we simply had the agreement that, you know, we talked just, man to man, but if an emergency came up and I had to put on the sergeant stripes, so to speak, and I yeah. had to suddenly shout out orders to inmates and other officers and that type of thing, uh, everybody had to, you know, lock up because we had a crisis in another part of the prison. We had to send every spare officer that we had over to deal with it and all that type of thing, which is why we'd lock up the inmates in our section. That when I gave an order, it 
It had to be done. Yeah. And inmates understood that. And, uh, you know, and then when it was all older with and we could let the inmates back out, then things went back to normal. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's what I always tell my tell my son. Don't make me be a dad. I will be cool. We can have fun and do whatever. But when you do something something wrong, I have to then become a dad and I have to explain things to you. And I have to if you if it's really bad, I have to be stern and I don't want to be mad, dude. I don't like it. Please yeah. don't make me. Please don't make me do that. Well, I'd say to inmates, I hope you have enough respect for me that you don't place me in a position where I have to come down on you because I don't enjoy that. I don't yeah. want to do that. You, you know. Well, I mean, you always told me that it gave you a great deal of, uh, as you called it, you know, moral authority because you, you know, your main concerns in the prison was security, keeping things safe, keeping tensions low. And by treating them like human beings, like people, they responded very well to that. And you were able to have a really good rapport with them. They would come to you with information. Hey, this is going down at thus and such time. You'd get a lot of inside info because of that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, 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 uh, you know, officers who were, you know, revenge heads and, and like to punish them you know they they didn't respect those guys and they also didn't respect the the you know you told me the you know the guards that had bring drugs in for them because eventually they'd rat them out because they didn't trust them they didn't respect them but they trusted you and respected you and and other officers of your ilk because you played things by the rules they liked like look we're garbage people we do what we do because we have to because of our situation. You are supposed to be the white hats, and you're supposed to obey the law and follow the rules. Well, yes, they absolutely expected that out of us. Yeah. And, you know, any, any officer that uh, didn't meet that standard uh, fell precipitously in their eyes. I could walk into the most dangerous situations I did any number of times, and I could have it resolved within minutes. Uh, and that really, it's interesting. So many people fail to realize the power of moral authority. Yeah. Most politicians. Of actually don't just be, get exactly. It, for uh, well, that's why I. I Everything I've seen of Bernie Sanders, where he's just been consistent. Well, in, I love Bernie. I do too. Yeah. I that's what I. As, as the more I see of him, the more I'm like, uh, he's been consistent in what he says. He's he's shown it in. He's walked the walk. My dad. Uh, my dad always told me that sweat means more than words. Oh yeah. Somebody who goes and puts in the work. My dad told me he voted for some guy because. He met him because he came and cooked hamburgers at a fundraiser with my dad because he was raising money to run run uh, for office. And rather than take just money from rich people, he went out and flipped hamburgers and talked, had like uh, meet the public. And my dad said that meant more to me because I could trust him. I know who he was because I've looked him in the eye and had him talk to me. There was a face-to-face that I had, and I can believe that. But he got out. He didn't give me a phone. He didn't hire someone to call me. He went out, and he did this. He put sweat into it, and I can believe that. 
Well, that's what I saw with Mr. and Mrs. Sanders. I mean, yeah. good, solid Vermont people, you know, a rural state, basically. Yeah. And, you know, I, I see him exactly the same way. Uh, but inmates, I, I don't know. I, I found, in my job as an officer, I found the inmates to be the easy part. Uh, really yeah. like it was it was more, well i guess yeah uh but you know crooked officers or officers that just wanted to be oppressive i hated to work with anybody that way to do a, a shift with somebody that just wanted to keep the inmates stoked up and angry and, and upset all the time that was a miserable shift yeah to, to work with somebody like that uh you know i hated that or with the administration, most of the, you know, captains and lieutenants and wardens and so forth, fine, good people. There were some, however, you know, there weren't, that uh, were far more dangerous snakes than the ones you'd think. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, those people just made it life miserable, the job miserable. But as I said, most of they make uh, life most, miserable for people because they're probably the same person at home. Yeah, that's. But most most of my supervisors were good people. Yeah, uh, they they really were. But there were those. Yeah, there, there's always going to be those uh, well, that, that weren't. So you uh, a, a bit ago you mentioned, uh, off or what Nicholas mentioned officers bringing drugs into prison because I I was in I I just started training at another job. And my one of my coworkers was just like, prisoners do this because they can't get drugs in prison. And I went, oh, they get drugs in prison. Like I've I've just heard stories from people that have been to prison that there's definitely drugs in prison. And so it, like, there. I mean, how does that work? How how are they getting drugs in? And is it just officers bringing it in, or how does it? Is it? I assume it's probably a lot like drug trafficking across the border there's people know something is going on or well there's all all different kinds of ways that it, it gets smuggled in uh but let's go to officers okay there's not very many i would say probably one out of a hundred will will get involved in that now in training they you get plenty of warning of why that is stupid. Yeah. And they'll tell you exactly how they will bring you down if you get involved in it. Because eventually the inmates will bring you down. Of course, as has been mentioned, they won't respect you. They'll yeah. be happy you bring it in to them and, you know, sell it to them. But... They, they don't trust you. They they don't trust you. They don't like you. They don't respect you. Um, but nonetheless, why would somebody? Your 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 job is finished. Yeah. When you do that, it's only a matter of time, and it's it's explained. You know, an inmate will get in trouble. Let's say he's bought drugs that were brought in by an officer. And then he can't pay the inmate that he owes the money to. And inmates are pretty ruthless. Well, if you don't pay me what uh, you owe me, then a week from now, you owe me double. 
and then a week from then, then you owe me double again, and that type of thing. And if you don't pay, my friends and I will come and beat the hell out of you, or uh, we'll we'll sell you. Uh, you know, we'll we'll pimp you out. Yeah. And, and all that, and this is reality. That that happens. That happens a, a lot. Does it happen quite a quite a bit? Yeah, a fair amount. And so, as a result, they finally have to come to the staff and say, you know, uh, you've got to move me. You've got to get me out of this situation. If you do, I'll tell you the officer who's bringing in the drugs. Mm. You see? Yeah. Anyway, how then do they prove that this officer is bringing in the drugs? Well, they they work with, you know. Other inmates, maybe. And yeah. Basically, they will give marked bills to the in you know inmates aren't supposed to have currency because they can use it as an escape fund if they manage to escape. So they they're not allowed to have money. But anyway, money comes in just like you know other things. I didn't know that. Like no cash. No cash. See, all of the the money that they need is on on account. And so they all have their uh, their own account, and they can buy commissary once a week, for example, uh, from what, you know, we got little jobs they can do in the prison that they earn so much money from. And they're, then their family can, you know, when they come to visiting, they can say, well, here's $20 I want you to put on my son's account or, you know, that kind of thing. And so it, it works that way. But if they have cash... That's how they'll pay for the drugs. Yeah. Well, so anyway, they'll give the inmate marked drug, marked money, and of course, there's several of the administration. They, they, they witness the numbers. The numbers on on, on the bills are written yeah. down, and all of that. Then the money is taken, and you know, surreptitiously given to the inmate who then buys the drugs from the officer. They know the day the officer's going to bring it in, so it's all done on that day. And then they call the officer up to a, you know, the administrative area, accuse him of it, force him into a strip search. The money's on him. It's proven they're the exact same bills and so forth. The uh, Salt Lake County people are called uh, the Salt Lake County Jail. He's taken out in handcuffs and gone. And gone. That's it. His job is through, and now he's going to face charges. So, and that's a uh, huge federal offense, I'm sure. Bringing drugs into a federal oh, well, <clears throat> of course. So I, I mean, it's stupid. You're told right in training when you're trained, you get so. Uh, when I went out there. I got three weeks of training before I actually started uh, on the job. Now, when I left, it was up to 13 weeks. I don't know what it is now. I have no idea. But you get a that massive amount of training in, in, in so many aspects. Uh, of, And that's one of the things you're told. You're told flat out how we'll bring you down if you bring bring in drugs. And so why somebody would do that? I mean, some people get trapped. I'll, I'll, I'll give a story. Soon after I was hired, there was a medical technician 
who you know worked under the doctors and and there was a time on the weekend where there was no doctor and an inmate was in agony i don't remember now what he was in the prison hospital and he couldn't get a hold of the doctor to give him authorization to give the inmate whatever it is he the uh, the painkiller, morphine, or whatever yeah. it was. It's been too many years. It's, it was right after I was hired, so we're talking almost 40 years ago when this happened. But anyway, he, on his own, then gave the inmate the injection or whatever it is to, to deal with the pain. Well, what he should have done is written a report immediately on what happened. I violated this policy of, you know, not because I could not get a hold of the... I went through everything. I, I, I This is what I, I did, and I tried, and finally, out of compassion, this is what I did. Write a report to give to his supervisor as soon as, you know, Monday came or whatever. Yeah. He didn't do that. Well, several days pass, and this same inmate said, all right, I'm grateful to you for what you did for me, but I have no honor. And unless you bring me in drugs, I'm going to rat you off. And the med tech panicked and started bringing in drugs, and it wasn't long before he... was done. And he lost his job and, and everything. If he had done what I suggested, I don't think anything really would have happened. Probably not. The worst would have been a, hand, a wrist slap, figuratively Don't speaking. do that again. That's I, I've always told people that if you can... Uh, when I was a I was a manager in, of a store, and I always told my managers that worked under me, if you do something and it's wrong, I'm only ever going to be mad if you can't give me the reasoning on why you thought you should do that. No. If you can tell me why you thought that it was okay that you did that or this is why I did this, this is why I thought it was okay, I tried this and this first, but it didn't work. If you can tell me the what, why, how on what you did, I'll still tell you that it was wrong and how you should have done it, but I'm not going to be mad about it because I see that you at least put it through the thought process instead of just blah, like... Yeah. So I think you were right. When you... Especially if you have a documentation of that, he, he probably would have would have been yeah. fine. Well, that's it. I mean, we're—I mean, we're told document, document, document. I mean, a lot of inmates will sue. They're hoping to have money to, so when they're released, because often jobs are hard to get and oh, everything yeah. else. And if they can successfully sue and get a hundred thousand dollars or or whatever, and uh, they're always so many of them are all, always on the lookout. Does that happen a lot? A lot of lawsuits in prison. <laughs> oh, that look on your face was so perfect. You're like, that's the number one thing that happens in prisons is lawsuits. Hey, the when I lawsuits was... and then sodomy, and those are the two oh, top yeah. things. <laughs> hey, um, the taxpayers, at least 
about the time when, well, when I was there, the taxpayers were paying out a million dollars a year just to protect the staff from inmate lawsuits. A billion dollars a, a million year. A million a year. And 90, that's just to deal with them. These aren't legitimate laws. Hey, of the lawsuits that inmates come up with, the courts determine that between 1% and 2% are legitimate. All the rest <laughs> have no... 1% to 2%? 1% to 2%. And so it got to be so ridiculous because you'd have inmates just to try to do anything would have out dozens of lawsuits at, a, at any given time on any ridiculous thing they could possibly imagine. You know, suing the state of Utah because in commissary they didn't sell a certain brand of gym shoes or, or, or all of it. And it all has to be defended against. The courts demand that every lawsuit must have yeah. uh, be looked at. And so finally, the federal that's hilarious. Uh, like it's that's so funny. Like that's what they're like. Well, we've got access to all these books. Let's read a. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it, it's no joke that you have some outstanding uh, prison lawyers. I mean, they, they get self-taught, and the you know it, it's incredible. But uh, anyway, just from reading law books while inside, yeah. they get to be pretty, and, and they're they're allowed to to do that. Yeah, they oh, can yeah. study it, right? There oh, is, sure. uh, and so they'll they'll do anything. <laughs> but so anyway, and we we are taught in training that one of the important aspects of our job is to save the taxpayers' money from loss. <laughs> I mean. You have an obligation to keep that down to a million a year. I mean, there's nothing we can do about that million. But don't do something that may cost the taxpayers millions of bucks because you did some crazy sadistic or or you raped an inmate or you did whatever. You you know, uh, you know, that happens warned. too. Guards rape inmates also. It's rare, but it, it happens. Ha it has happened. And is that more like a like a dominance thing, like a, oh, sure. a alpha dogging kind of? I mean, for lack of better word, rape I think that's is, what about that's what it is a lot in prison, right? Is rape is a dominance thing. I, you know, it it's a rare officer, obviously, that does anything like that. But it it, it happened. Yeah, I knew a captain that that raped an inmate oh nine or ten times before he was caught and finally this poor new officer i knew him he'd been there just a short time and he walks right in on it oh and guess what you never forget guess what you uh, never unsee yeah never like that that's such a shocking thing to probably walk in on that you're like that's burned there forever i oh, yeah. see that every time i close my eyes now yeah. like what uh, huh yeah, so, I, I mean, you know, it, it, obviously the captain that did that did some time in prison for it and that et cetera. So and the inmate got $100,000 from the taxpayers and, uh, you know, that can't. No, I mean, but it's rare. Yeah. Uh, let's face it, it's rare. But you It know. does happen, but it's uh, not common. Yeah. But, you know, of course, we're starting into... Everybody knows that that happens. That, that that sex is a problem in prison. Well, hey, what's the average age of an inmate? 
25 years. Is 25 it, years old, that's really the average Half are younger than 25, half are older than 25. And so, hey, you got a fellow, his hormones are, you know. Raging. And, you know, uh, they're criminals. A lot of them have already had experience with homosexuality. Uh, a lot of them in a very sad way because they were abused as children. Yeah. By male relatives that should never have done such a thing. In most cases, that's what it is. That's I always told people when the bathroom laws were coming out of, because of uh, transgendered people. I'm like, that's not who you... Like, that's not how you protect people from molestation. It's uh, family reunions and churches and scouting. Like, that's yeah. way... A, a much larger problem than public bathrooms. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, <laughs> transgender people have always gone into restrooms. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, how many cases have we ever had of this? I mean, None. it's a non-issue, basically. Pretty much it's a non-issue. Yeah. It should be. But anyway, yeah, it happens. And uh, most sex is between consenting adults in prison. I mean, you know, they work it out between themselves and they they get the officers to say, well, you know, uh, can I have so-and-so as a roommate? Because except in Max where, you know, it's one inmate yeah. per cell, uh, it's two inmates per Person. cell otherwise. And uh, it's done to save the state tens of millions of dollars a year. And, you know, and so... You know, as long as, you know, they don't say why, you know, we, we're we not stupid as officers, but, yeah. you, you know, as long as, you know, we figure, then... Less pro probably less problems to deal with. If and then they do it between counts late at night. You know, they know they're busy, and we do a, a count every hour, and we've got other things to do, and so they've got a safe time to take care of it, and... And so on. That's the vast majority of it. But, of course, is there rape in prison? Of course. Is it a problem? Yeah. And do we, as officers, hear about it and have to deal with it? Yes. But <laughs> yeah. a lot of inmates, uh, you get a, a young guy, and when we see him as an officer, a young guy that says a teenager and he's good looking and he's small and and we we just roll We just our described eyes. teen Jason to a and, <laughs> young nineteen year old Jason to a T. I would and, not have made it. <laughs> you know, we we sometimes have seen some crazy things happen because yeah. of it. And it, it does happen and usually a weaker inmate will agree to become the the lover of the stronger inmate, yeah, uh, and and then other inmates will respect that and leave them alone, and it's just one of those sad things that happen in a prison, and there's not a lot we can do about it. Now, if an inmate comes and asks, you know, to, for protection, and then so then we are immediately required to deal with that. Yeah, but most inmates won't, and uh, so it. it a lot of inmates, I, I've known inmates have said, gee, I came into prison. I'd never had any experience with it. I got raped a few times. I hated it. 
And then after the time, I got to like it. And that sounds so so like awful, right? So, so, but it's one, it's, it's one of the realities of prison. Wow. And it always has been. I mean, I'm sure you can go back thousands of years and find the same thing. Well, and, and you know, and uh, the like where I talked about it being in prison, where it's like prison rapes, uh, uh, an alpha, alpha mailing somebody thing, because that's what uh, I mean. They used to do like in in war, old war times when they would take up swords against each other. Like that's uh, we completely conquered you. Like we took everything. Well, it's just like uh, some very powerful inmates that uh, push their weight around. If I can rape you, I can do anything to you. Wasn't and that uh, white supremacist pile of garbage? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, there was... Crispy Critter? Well, the, what? that was a different one oh. uh, entirely. Uh, uh, an inmate that, uh, you know, would, you know, rape younger inmates and one inmate just uh got a hold of some solvent put it put it into the cell set it afire and and uh, he got burned pretty bad the one that had been doing the raping and the inmates gave him the nickname of crispy critter <laughs> yeah. uh, some dude set him on fire in prison yeah that's uh, that, tough as shit yeah. like that's yeah. some like yeah, movie was, prison good shit. Go. Good on him too. Fuck that guy. Yeah, if he's rape, just raping people like that, yeah. dude. That Freddy Krueger, that motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> that happened many years. That happened even before I was hired. But. Really? So he was, but he was still in prison, just burned up. Yeah. He, uh... So anyway, uh, I don't remember that because I never saw him. They must have moved him yeah. to another prison or, or released him or, or, or what. But you heard the story of it. But I heard the story of it. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there was a case when I was a sergeant on one of the cell blocks. I'd been there a couple of years, and suddenly it's the, it's the <laughs> middle of the afternoon, and I see a couple of inmates fighting, and one is hitting another with a board as they're coming down the stairs from a higher cell block and the blood is streaming down this one guy who's really fighting off the other one and back then we if there was a crisis we had a whistle and we'd blow it as loud as we could before we even got on the phone and and in my panic I blocked the air holes of the whistle and I was going and nothing would happen. There was a, a young inmate that, that kind of assisted us with paperwork in there, and he broke out laughing. And suddenly <laughs> I realized what I was doing, and I could give a good blast on that whistle. And they heard me, oh, the 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 big, uh, I can't even think right now, but anyway, they heard me in, in uh, where the, the main gates were leading into the 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 building proper the officers heard me a hundred yards away you know you had to go up one hallway and then then go at another angle up another and then there's thick glass they heard me inside of there you know i uh you know i really let out the blast and then got (laughs) then i got on the phone to the head control room that's what i was thinking And, and uh Anyway, we got it all locked down, but it was over a fight over a 18-year-old inmate who 
was homosexual and was willing to give sexual favors. And the the one that uh, uh, was uh, getting the board to him had lost him in a gambling game. God damn. Oh, uh, man. To, to three others. Uh, and, so and, essentially human trafficking. And, <laughs> like and, you, you're gambling with a life. And, and so it was, it was a, that, so I mean. Doesn't that sound like apocalyptic crazy <laughs> shit God, going on, like right? Going on Mad Max. This gang, you know, where you just, he'd be the poor guy chained to the front of the nitro truck. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, these things go on in a prison. <laughs> it's something that... Uh, How often do fights happen? Oh, fairly often, but I'll tell you something. When I... Oh, for many years that I was there, I would be in charge of a couple of buildings of inmates and, you know, half a dozen officers who'd be the swing shift. So, you know, the captains and lieutenants, they're usually there for the day shift. And so I would be in charge of, you know, half a dozen other officers and maybe three, close to 300 inmates. And I had a captain that, that said to me one time, he said, I think you're too easy on the inmates, but I've got to say this. When you're in charge, nothing happens, not even a fight. <laughs> it's a time that I don't even have to worry about. Well, hey, when the officers are fair, they're reasonable, guess what? Over time, they lower the level of tension considerably. Yeah. And that's the key more than anything, is to keep tension and ang down keep it down will you send that message to our president right now please oh man can we bring tension and uh, treat people with respect <laughs> let's bring the tension down and get along let me we were talking about you know i was going to bring this up earlier there'd be a time when say an inmate this always happened when an inmate didn't know me and uh He'd be new to the cell block or, or whatever. And he'd come to me furious and angry and frustrated and swear at me and everything else. And I'd just calmly look at him. And finally, I'd say, all right, uh, I can understand that you're frustrated and upset about something. Why don't you go back? Inmates use a euphemism to their cell. They don't call them cells. They call them house, our house. Yeah. And so I'd say, go back to your house and, and calm down and think about it. And in an hour, come back and I'll help you with it. We'll talk it through, see if I can do something. Yeah. And he'd give me a look of absolute dumbfounded shock that <laughs> I didn't say... Well, you so-and-so inmate, I'm writing you up for using foul and abusive language to an officer. No, I wouldn't do that. I'd simply say, you know, come back. I'll help. I understand you're frustrated. And so, inevitably, what would be the first thing that would happen when that inmate had come back? He'd treat you with respect. Yeah, he'd give me an apology. And, of course, I would never, 
have a problem with that inmate ever again. And other inmates would witness it and compliment me afterwards and say, Officer Smith, we really respect you for the way you handled inmates so-and-so. And, you know, I, I don't know how many times I was complimented by inmates because I would handle other inmates in, in that way. And those are the kind of things you can do to lower tension and anger. And then you get so much respect from the inmates. It got to the point that the last years I was out there, I never was yelled at by an inmate. I was never... Your reputation, uh, what is it, reputation preceded you? Yeah, yeah. Inmates... Well, they probably talk about, I mean, they talk about the guards that they like. I mean, everybody's going to have that, like, oh, I'm glad it's Officer Smith tonight. Or... (laughs) I oh, guess they didn't I, even I'd call you Officer in Smith. And I'd see the most relieved looks on inmates' faces. I'd see the most, oh, thank God. Yes. Yeah. You know, in, officers who didn't get it, who didn't like me because they felt I was too easy on inmates, and they were constantly. Like prison isn't hard enough yeah. on the inmates? Like. <laughs> You know, I would only They aren't do a punching a, bag there. This is just, I would only yeah. do a disciplinary report on an inmate if there was just it was too serious. There was just no choice. Let's say I find drugs. I find you, you know, a, a knife or, yeah. or, or something. Where I just I, I my hands are tied. I have no choice. But inmates also knew that I didn't it wasn't a personal thing. I wasn't doing it because I yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm oh, not yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, thinking. you're fine. <laughs> anyway, I they knew I didn't do a report on them because I was trying to get at them. Yeah. I was trying to hurt them. I, I just had no choice. Well, I told the same people when I wor- worked with that work, don't make, don't, I, I hate writing paper. Like, paperwork's the worst part oh, of my that, job. Oh, there was that, too. I Man, hated paperwork. Man, I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. Don't make me write a report. I like writing, but not this. Yeah. Not that at all. You know, yeah, uh, absolutely. And if an inmate did something really serious where we had to move him to maximum security, then you, you've, you've got uh, the disciplinary report. You've got the incident report. You've got to inventory all of his personal effects and and, and get that, that secured. And it goes on and on and on. And How long does that paperwork take? It was getting to the point where we had to do so much to guard and protect the, not only ourselves, the public, the lawsuits, and everything else. I, it was getting where I was doing in an eight-hour shift, paperwork, maybe it was between one and two hours. So that's uh, too much for paperwork. You it's know, too much paperwork time. Uh, you know, uh, it was just getting ridiculous. That's a lot. Uh, so... And how it is now after all these years, I I can't say, but it, it was it was the longer I was there, the worse. It the worse. So you can only imagine that it's still getting worse yeah, and worse. I don't know what the upward curve is now, or or, or so forth. But uh, you know, prisons are watched. Uh, I worked at one of the few in this country where, with my temperament, my desire not to be oppressive. Uh, I'll have to tell a story. I don't know what the time. We've got to, about we've got about twenty minutes left, and I the only I've only got one question uh, 
the only question so share this story because the only question i i want to ask in in closing is what you think uh we could do to to improve prisons to like that what do you think the biggest thing that we could do but go ahead like share the story well, and then maybe let's, let's or do that. that let's hit that okay uh well again it's education educating the public uh it's trying to persuade people that you know prisons yeah the punishment that is handed out or should be the only is the is the 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 sentence that is given in the court for whatever the crime is, and one can only hope that the sentence is fair and reasonable in yeah. the court. Some of these states are turning, handing out time that is absolutely ridiculous. Utah is a lot better. I, as I said, Utah is one of the few states where I could have been an officer with with my temperament. A lot of states, they are so hard-nosed, and, uh, you know, they, they don't really know how to run a prison. But the, the important thing is, is to try to get it across and to try to get it to the legislature and so forth that we're, prisons are to protect the public, yeah. not... You know, big punishment factories. They're, they're, they're not. The punishment is the time. Yeah. And we, we have a good system in Utah, indeterminate sentencing, which means that you, you're uh, sentenced to zero to five, or one to fifteen, or five to life, or whatever. And according to what the inmate does, the education he gets in the prison, the therapy he gets for you know, sex therapy or anger management or whatever, and, and this is all documented, then the Board of Pardons will then, he can they can make sure, they can chop that the time down according to how well the inmate is preparing himself for when he gets released. And it's a good system, uh, yeah. far better than handing out 20 years or 50 years or, yeah. or, or whatever, then you load up have huge numbers of inmates and and you're burdening the taxpayers in, in, incredibly uh utah has last i am aware some six thousand inmates you have you go to some states and you're over a hundred thousand of course you know your bigger population states i understand that but they're incarcerating a far higher percentage of the population than utah is we go to Nevada that has a population similar to ours, and their inmate population is way higher, higher than ours. Arizona's is, is, you know, out of sight and, and so forth. And the, who, who foots the bills? Taxpayers. The taxpayers foot the bills. Last I understood, I could be wrong on this, but I think we're paying out about $300 million a year in Utah to support our uh, prison system. Uh, gee, if we incarcerated a far higher percentage, then it'd be way, way High, above yeah. that. And the taxes would have to go up accordingly to finance it. That's one of the reasons I'm, I'm for, you know, handling most drug offenses in, 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 in a different way. Yeah. I think rehabilitation over incarceration. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, if we're going to fund, if we're going to pay for it and 
for them to stay somewhere. I'd rather them pay to stay in a in getting drug therapy, like no, a, go into a rehab and go through and actually educate yourself on what you were doing and and things that you can do to to not be an addict anymore. Yeah, I mean, as long as the crime was nonviolent, if it's a drug crime, that's I feel every single time. Please give this person the help they need. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, the the drug war. Um, is you know mainly used as a as an excuse to harass minorities to get them into into prisons and it's particularly bad if they go to a privatized prison system yeah. because then they need a revenue stream and so what do they do they start filling prisons well, filling prisons and they go after the minority the unprotected uh, groups who don't have you know. The social structure built, the like, social, yeah, yeah, it, like, they're they're in a you know in an area where uh, it's it's white dominant. They and don't, they don't get, yeah, yeah, they're completely helpless. Privilege, the they don't have the the privilege that others. But it's also a way for politicians uh, to uh, try to, oh, you know, elect me and I'll build more prisons. You know, I'll get more of these uh, terrible people off the streets. Uh, you know the the present administration they're they're lax on crime, but you know put me in there and and we'll really get these so and so's locked up and it, it's it's a way for politicians to demagogue and the voters fail to realize yeah and uh, we're gonna have to pay the bill for all that you you know oh yeah I mean so the, the Republicans are really harping on that during the last election cycle they were really exaggerating the crime statistics yep. and. Saying they think, well, people feel they're threatened. People don't feel safe. They feel the truth. That's what they want us to feel. That's not what we actually feel. It's what we're told to. We've been told to be scared. Yeah, yeah that I, I've always told people, go and talk to somebody. Like, I, I walked around some of, like, some pretty sketchy places in Philadelphia. Yeah. All day long, six days a week, for 12 hours a day, for four and a half months almost five months and got assaulted once yeah where i'm like that's not bad for my size and walking around in some pretty uh, parts that have uh been stri- like they're poverty poverty stricken they're you, you know that's a, just a tough place to be in yeah so it is. And-, and for the fact that i didn't get beat up more i was honestly surprised by how they want you to feel about being in poor areas. Yeah. Let me say something about the way the prison in Utah is managed. Now, no prison is ideal. Mistakes are made and so forth, but Utah manages its prison system far more intelligently than most states. Now, since we have had a prison, the first prison was established in 1855 in Utah. And since then, we have had five staff killed by inmates. That's it. That is it. One of them... That's that's impressive, honestly. I mean, that... uh, And one of those was Fred House, and that wasn't at the prison. He he was killed in dealing with the singer situation as a, uh, you know... And so anyway, uh, he was helping out with that. And so really four, to my knowledge, uh, of the prison. Why? Because we put the emphasis 
on trying to keep tension and anger down and trying to resolve problems with inmates rather than be just punitive. Yeah. Uh, and and that's why I said I, I could work in Utah. There's a lot of states. They would have just sent me down the road so fast that <laughs> because yeah. they would have, oh, well, this guy, inmates will just walk all over the top of him. Yeah. No, they didn't walk all over the top of me because... I I handled them and I still dealt with them. If an inmate was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing, usually I just pulled him off the side and I'd say, "Hey, guy, can't we work this out? Yeah, isn't there? You're doing such and such. It's going to get you in trouble. I know officers that are already talking about you. Can you know and that type of thing? Yeah, I do that whenever I could." I was out to keep tension and anger down because I was making it safer for everybody, including my fellow officers. Why, yeah. Why shouldn't I do that? That's, that's a yeah, common. Yeah, exactly. This is this is the best resolution. Yeah. And, and so yeah. Uh, kind do, of a maybe I'll I'll tell the story yeah, share, of, share of how I story. came to be hired. Yes, yes, absolutely. How uh, did you how did you become an officer? The last thing in the world I ever wanted to to be. Uh, I, I never imagined that I could ever work out in something like that. Hey, I I always I was kind of the bookish kid. I was the kid that didn't like sports. That carried his briefcase from class <laughs> to class. As kind of looked upon as the school egghead who liked classical music, who didn't like sports, and the last person in the world that anybody ever imagined would would become a prison guard. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I I had a, a neighbor that worked out there, and he said, "You really ought to come out and work at the prison. You have the perfect personality for it." And I said, "You're crazy." <laughs> I mean, he kept nagging me, and finally I thought of a way to get rid of him. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. You bring me an application. I'll fill it out. I will not mail it. If you want me to work out there so bad, then you're going to have to hand carry the application back to them and turn it in <laughs> to them. And I can tell you that once they get a look at me, they're not going to be able to send me down the road fast enough. <laughs> he said, you're on. So anyway, fill out the application. He takes it up. Several months go by. Nothing happens. And I figure, yeah, yeah, yeah just exactly. And then suddenly I, I get informed that I'm to go up to the state capitol for an interview. So anyway, I go up, and there's a couple of people that I don't know their background at the time. I would come to know them later. One of them had been an ex-inmate. He'd done 20 years, 13 in New Mexico and, and, oh, and seven in Utah. And he had uh, eventually got his life straightened up and got college education and, and was involved in the training department. Uh, and he, he was fascinating to listen to. I loved to hear him talk about showing things from the inmate point of view. Yeah. Which is good for an officer to know. Absolutely. You know. But anyway, he was one of them that interviewed me. The other one was a lady who had been a madam up uh, up in uh, 
25th Street in Ogden uh, for years. Historic, Historic 25th, 25th Street. 25th Street. <laughs> anyway, and then she decided to change her life and got education. She was uh, a counselor out at the prison, an older woman. Yeah. And so they were the two that interviewed me, and the fellow had been an ex-inmate, wasn't too impressed with me. He didn't rate me that high. Yeah. But she later told me that she rated me higher than almost any officer that she had ever interviewed. And so due to an ex-madam, <laughs> it, it is how I ultimately came to be hired. But anyway... I. There's the interview, and then nothing happens for about three months. And I figure, ah, they weren't impressed. Yeah. And I get it. I understand why they weren't. So anyway, they, I get a phone call, and I'm to go up to the prison for a final interview. And I I looked at it this way. Well, they're not going to hire me. I got nothing to lose. I'm just going to be brutally honest. I'm just, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just throw it out there. And if they don't like it, tough. You know, I've already got a job. I'm 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 happy with what I'm doing. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> I do. And amazingly, then they have me wait a while, and while they talk about it, they had interviewed a number of people, and I finally I got told, "Hey, you're hired. Come in." That was on a Friday, and come in Monday and start. I had to tell the poor people I'd worked for for years, I've, I've given you two days notice, you know, I'm sorry. And and I talked it over with my wife and my brother-in-law, who was at that time chief of police of Linden, and he, he was kind of dubious about, about going out, my going out. But anyway, I made the decision to go. I'll go. You know, I've committed yeah. myself this far. And so I did and had three weeks of training and Anyway, so <laughs> it was kind of amazing, but then I suddenly found myself uh, working out there, and it it worked out. I, yeah. I found I could immediately just start talking to inmates, and I was w very willing to learn. Yeah. Uh, the training, I got a straight A on the final after three weeks of training, and and the people that were training me were a little dubious about me. They thought inmates would walk all over the top of me, but how could they send me down the road when I got an A? And yeah. so they 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 let me and yeah, I, I realized I had a lot to learn. I, I hadn't been raised on the wrong side of the tracks, not by any stretch and and so on, but uh I will I've often said it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, I really Boy, did I! I think I grew more in the next ten years. Uh, next six months, I grew ten years in the next, in the next six, six months, months. I think it was uh, wow, you know. <laughs> but at first, they were dubious. I, uh, they put me down as as an officer working in the culinary with the cooks and what have yeah. you. I, you know, as simply a security officer, and. There were about 30 inmates working back there preparing meals, and some of them had been there a long time, murderers and, you know, rapists, armed robbers. And there were several of these after a couple of weeks that pulled me off to the side, and they said uh, the spokesman was a murderer. He'd been there for years and years. And he said, Officer Smith, he said, do you really understand 
how dangerous a place this can be. And I said, oh, you mean uh, that I could be raped, tortured, and murdered? Is that what you mean? And they all had knowing looks on their faces. They had nothing more to say after that. <laughs> yeah, I guess this guy isn't as innocent as we thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I just talked to inmates like they were just fellow people, you know? Yeah. I... You know, I had no desire to throw my weight around or anything. Of course, you know my, you know Nick. You yeah. Know, I, I've never had the desire to oppress anybody. You know, I'd well rather persuade somebody to do what they should rather than you know beat them into it. It know? always works better that way. Oh yeah, and that was the same way I acted as an officer. Yeah. <clears throat> and. I was put into some amazing situations twice. I faced down a mentally ill inmate with a knife oh. and came out of it unhurt. You know, you just slowly and calmly talk them down. You know. Words. Words work, right? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, so it was a good, it was a good experience. It's the best job I've ever had. It was the one I most enjoyed in any job I ever had. I finally quit at 53 years of age because I was starting with diabetes and it was bad. I had to gain control of it. I was just really ill and and I had I could get a retirement by that time. So I I threw in the towel after 20 years. But it, it, it was the best job I ever had. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on on today. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you and learning more about it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. It and was a good time. It was a good time. And uh, apologies to the listeners for all the fun background noise from my old English bulldogs. Uh, they are wanting to go outside. They want to go outside. They've, they're done gnawing their bones, and now like, they need to pee. Look, we've, we're, we're done, guys. So uh, thanks, uh, everybody, for listening. Um, I hate that I... Thanks, everybody. Um, thanks, guys. Have a great day or night. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope it's just amazing. I hope you had a great time. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you later.